You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Welcome to our Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. On behalf of our Accounting Influencers podcast network, we go out to 150 countries, 30,000 listeners all over the world. And this is our special interview show where we deep dive with a very expert guest to talk about various things happening in the accounting and fintech world. I'm thrilled to have with me today, the wonderful Jen Surtees. Hello, Jen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Jen, it is a pleasure. For people that haven't come across you, just answer the what do you do question for us. Yeah, sure. So um, I work at Xero. Um, and I'm People Experience Director for our UK and EMEA uh, region. Um, so what that really means is making sure that our people are very happy, having great experiences, and in turn, giving our customers a fantastic experience too. People Experience Director. There are so many great job titles out there. That's got to be up there with one of the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very happy with it. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be a tax manager or a product developer, would you? No disrespect to those people, but People Experience Director sounds very grand. It's much better than HR, I think. Um, and certainly better than the old days personnel. Um, but yeah, people experience, it's definitely what attracted me to the role in the first place because it was just such a great job title and fantastic position description. Um, made me really feel that it was a human-focused place to work. And in the era of the great resignation of people recalibrating their lives, their jobs, I've seen some research that says people were offered a $10,000, £10,000 pay rise or a different and more exotic job title. And guess what pe- most people went for? Job title. Yeah. So there is a lot in that, isn't there? With your identity, your role, your affirmation, your validation. Who am I? What do I do at work? How do I add value to the organization? Just unpack what might be going on a little bit there for us because you're in a unique position to talk about. That. Yeah, I think um, people want um, want to do jobs that makes a difference and um, that adds value. And if your job title or your position title doesn't um, articulate what that looks like, it's if you have to do like an elevator pitch to help someone really <laughs> truly understand what you're, the depth of what you're doing, then you're also not going to get the recognition from leaders in your business, are you? So um, I think there's definitely a move for people to be able to demonstrate their purpose. And a great way of doing that is an awesome job title. And what about that autonomy that people have to actually have a say in their job title? Because we know that And I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we dip into culture, which is a great topic for you. When people work somewhere, they want to have, by and large, their hands on the steering wheel of their own career. They want some choice, some freedom, some flexibility, some autonomy, some power. So having a say in your job title, in your role, rather than having that dictated to you, that must be an important factor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, if you go to Dan Pink and his um, work on Drive, he says that um, you can pay somebody lots of money, but actually the performance starts to kind of tailor off them, um, as you get into kind of adding more and more into that kind of salary package. And what people benefit from more from a motivation perspective is mastery. Um, so the opportunity to kind of get really good at what they do. Um, purpose so really connecting with what they're doing and how it impacts on an organization or um, you know the team that they're working for and then um, yeah autonomy is the third thing and so that kind of opportunity to really shape your own destiny um, is a really big big draw for people and I think over the pandemic we've seen people really just assessing what their priorities are 
um, I had a double whammy of that because I had a baby over the pandemic too. So we um, took the decision to move to the coast. And um, yeah, so that like autonomy has been something that lots of people can definitely, I think res it resonates that we've all looked at what we do, how much we focus on our well-being or how much we prioritize our friends and family or, or actually whether we're really happy with the job that we're doing and whether there's an, some other things that we'd like to shift and change. Um, so yeah, autonomy has been, I think, even more important post-pandemic. What do you make, Jen, of the culture of, not the culture, the the term quiet quitting, which was has become very on vogue now, isn't it? What's your take on that? Honestly, I quite like it. For people that don't know what it means, just define it for us, Jen. Yeah, so quiet quitting is the idea of, um, so where before the pandemic, we had a lot of people who used to go above and beyond to really demonstrate what they were doing and, and therefore that would demonstrate that they were ready for their next promotion and progression. So you'd get people who there was like a bit of a fight of staying, who was the last one in the office. And the pandemic's given that, given rise to people having conversations and, and thought processes around actually, I think I give enough to this business and, and maybe there's more that I want to do. We've got loads of people with um, side hustles and all sorts of other priorities that they want to do outside of work and so quiet quitting is um, the idea of kind of just not going above and beyond doing what you're paid to do and saying see you later at five o'clock when you leave the office um bit of an alien concept for a lot of people but um I, I quite like that um idea that actually you should be paying people enough so that they feel that they're contributing but we shouldn't be asking people to do more than what they feel is fair and reasonable and so um, I think it's really about being a responsible employer. I think um, having really good, fair processes so that people don't feel they have to go through a quiet quitting process. And quiet quitting is the anti-hustle approach. We get that. You can quiet quit in an economic climate, which is very talent poor with a dwindling labor pool and you are in control. You have some power over your employer that if they get rid of you, there's nobody lining up to take your job and, and interviews are not bursting with loads of people wanting particular roles. So there is some power in the candidate there in the talent pool. Would we have quiet quitting? Do you feel if jobs were at a premium and people had to hustle and show that discretionary effort to even get in the door? And well, I guess that's the precipice we find ourselves on at the moment, I think, as we wait for, although you know, all indicators are that we're maybe already in in that kind of space, um, if we're not very shortly going to be. I think um, in that environment, it's about what's valuable. So people, of course, they want to keep hold of their roles. So sec job security is important. But I think that um, fairness becomes more, more important in those environments because people want to know they're being paid fairly and at market rate. Um, and, and that the processes that lead to progression opportunities are fair that recruitment processes are fair um and so I, I i actually don't think it's to do with job security um the idea of quite quitting i think it's to do with feeling safe and that you trust your organization let's define culture jen it's something you live and breathe and you lead the charge on you're very passionate about what does culture mean in Jen Surti's Dictionary of Life and Business? I don't think you can talk about culture without talking about brand. So I think that culture is the employee's experience of the brand. And what I mean by that is that if you've got a really great brand, it should be something that's outside of your organization, but also something that permeates internally. Um, so the cult to me, the culture is like the behavioral expression of your brand. So how you deal with your employees versus your customers. 
And ideally, you want those to be beautifully aligned. It's interesting that you bring up brand in a culture conversation. To me, there are two brands for an organization. One is the corporate or the external brand, the company brand. What do people outside us see us as? And then there's the employer brand. So that's on the inside. What do we look like? How attractive are we? To the outside when you're recruiting, of course, but to the people we want to retain and promote, what do we look like? What does that employer brand say about us? What is our employee value proposition, if you like? So do you feel there are two distinct brands as well? Or do you feel it's all one and it's all aligned? I think it's all one. I think you can't, like if you, let's say, for example, you sell something, let's say that's your business model, you're, you're, you're a salesperson for something. I would hope that you believe in that product sufficiently that it's exactly what you live and breathe internally. So if you're an accounting software company, for example, and you're talking about supporting small businesses, like a company very close to my heart, um, we should be using small businesses as much as, I, as possible internally for the different things that we're doing. And we do. And so for me, I don't think, I think they, there are different factions, but I think that they should be one and the same thing. They should speak to each other. And actually, I think your values in, internally should be definitely guide your way with your brand as well. So they should be brand values also. Talk to us about a people-led culture. What does that look like? There, there must be different kinds of cultures in accounting software companies. So you're very big on a people-led culture. I mean, no human being comes with a manual um, and um, everyone's different. So I think it's first recognizing that um, no circumstances are ever going to be the same when you're dealing with human beings. We can use guidelines and policies as much as we'd like to, but there'll always be gray areas. And so we spend a lot of time in my team working on the gray areas and not trying to define anything beyond that. Um, I think when you work for a business, um, you spend your largest part of your um, life Asleep. Your second largest part of your life will be spent at work. That's quite depressing. Sorry uh, if you're listening to this early in the morning. It's a fact um, though, isn't it, Jen? It is a fact. It is a fact, but it's not, not a palatable one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're giving so much of your life to a business, I think that the business has a responsibility to ensure that you feel, um, yeah, valued as well. And I think um, when you're thinking about people-led cultures, um, it's about driving great human connections, feeling that you are valued as an individual contributor, um, that you're, you're delivering more than just, you know, answering queries in a day. You're supporting someone to do even more than, um, than what, what, might look, what might look like their particular task in a day and helping someone really connect with um, the, the impact that they're having, the value that they're delivering, the difference they're making is so significant. Um, I mean, 71% of um, people surveyed um, have shown that they want to work for a more environmentally conscious um, employer. Um, there's uh, evidence that companies that really invest in their diversity, equity and inclusion programs enjoy 19% of um, a higher revenue, sorry, 19% of them enjoy a higher revenue. So um, there's some really great performance-led reasons why you would focus on helping someone connect from a human perspective with your business. Um, and by doing that, you're going to have a much more inspired and motivated workforce who feel that they're making a difference beyond just turning up, um, answering some queries and, and going home again. So aren't all cultures people-led? 
you'd have to be, this may be a crazy question, but you'd have to be a stupid, stupid company not to put your people first, knowing that they're, they are your most valuable resource. And without them, you've got no engine room to gra- drive growth and deliver on your promises to your customers and your clients. Isn't it a no-brainer or, or do you have to be particularly intentional in forging a people-led culture? Yeah, I think you've got to be intentional. Um, it's it, You would think that employing human beings, I'm a human people-led um, culture, but it's not the case. I'm sure we've all worked for companies where we felt like a number rather than a, an individual and you have to be intentional about it. It has to be something that you really mean. And it's not just something that you can say on a poster that everyone walks past every morning. It's something that they have to really feel. And it's throughout the entire employee journey that they have to be able to almost like touch and feel that. And when you came into your role there at Zero, Jen, was there already a people-led culture in place or did you have a blank slate and a remit to turn it into a people-led culture? It was there um, originally, the idea of people experience, definitely. The values have been with Zero since its inception. And I think that's the really amazing thing that it's, they've grown like the rings within a tree as it's age, as it ages. I think um, the thing when I took over in this role, the thing that was different is that we have grown by two thirds since we took I took over. So we had 200 employees when I took over. Now we've got 639 in our region. So um, I'd say it existed, the the, the seed and the, and the values were already there. But the challenge I have enjoyed um, getting my teeth into is how that continues to grow and expand as more people join. And I think that's the stage that most businesses really struggle with, having something really fantastic right at that seed moment when they're just getting going and how they take all of that with them as they add more people. Do you feel from experience, I'm sure you talk to a lot of accountants and firms, that it's any different for a software or a fintech company like Zero than it is for an accounting firm or professional practice? I would say no, I don't think so. I think everyone, any business has an opportunity to really think innovatively about how they show up as an employer. Um, I think most people on your podcast, I would assume, are quite forward thinking in the way that they've built their business. Um, And so why not be forward thinking about the way that you build your employer brand? So talk to us then about first steps in building a culture where people can thrive and flourish. There's a lot of hype given to it and a lot of lip service given to it and a lot of firms and companies claim to have such a culture but steps need to be taken to ensure that that's true yeah for sure and this is kind of goes back to the brand my first point would be figure out what your unique selling point is what is it that makes you different to other practices for example um identify what your purpose is off the back of that so how can you help your employees connect really well with what they're doing and and the thing that they're doing beyond just the role that they come in and show up to do um I think having a really strong set of values and really embedding those in the way that you, your leaders show up in the way that you hire and recruit um, and um, just driving through those. And we, we use our values as a kind of guideline around our policies. We don't have a handbook, an employee handbook. The reasons I said employee people are not need, don't need a manual. So we don't have an employee manual or handbook. Um, we have a set of policies that we use as guidelines for the kind of legal piece of employing people, but our values serve really well to support our leaders in the journey that they have to go on in, in supporting the people that have in their team. So really embedding those values and making sure your leaders, most importantly, live and breathe those values. Um, I think also some education and awareness on um, for people leaders is really important if you're setting up a people-led um culture or or you're trying to embed something like that in your business, you have to have leaders that are 
aware of how to make a really inclusive team. Um, maybe unconscious bias is something that they need more awareness in because obviously when we are starting to recruit for culture, it's really easy to kind of start hiring for people who fit some kind of cookie cutter mold. Um, but I think also looking at different initiatives and ways that you can drive really great connection between your employees. I mean, we used to do all kinds of things when we were really small and we've tried to take some of those things and um, let them scale. So when we were smaller, we used to match people up um, and give them some questions to ask each other so that they could get to know each other. Now we have um, an app on our Slack, um, which is our internal communication tool, which pairs people up randomly. Um, it's called Donut. So um, driving type things like that so that we've got great connection moments, culture moments. So getting everybody together in the office, which we're doing tomorrow to kind of talk about our half year and, and how we've been going and what we've still got to do this year. Those are kind of key moments that you can drive great connection, get people together. And especially in this world of kind of more hybrid models of working and, and remote working, thinking about driving that connection um, is so key. We can't avoid that. The hybrid remote world that we're in, how much harder is it to drive culture and set expectations when people are not there? If I look back, so I came back from parental leave um, 12 months ago almost to the day. Um, and when I came back, obviously we'd had um, a period of time where I guess connection had kind of fallen away, but we were in a really unique position of, um, I was, we were coming back, I was coming back, everyone was coming back into the office. And so we took some time to really think about what good would look like for the model that we wanted to put in place. Um, and I think um, driving that connection really comes down to great team engagement. So very clear understanding of kind of what your managers um need to do with their teams. So we've been really clear that we want teams to think about how much they connect, how regularly they connect and let them like let each of them decide what works for the majority of them and and how regularly they need to be together in the office. Um, and I think kind of giving it goes back to the autonomy piece that we we're talking about earlier um, giving that autonomy to teams and to people leaders so that we don't have a one size fits all approach has been great. But then having an overarching company um, approach, so key moments um, at the beginning of the financial year or halfway through the year or at the end of the calendar year, for example, it just really means that there's, there's different levels of kind of culture programs going on. And yeah, it's, um, it's, I think everyone's learning, aren't they? It's, that's the interesting thing. I don't think anybody has got it nailed and absolutely perfect. We're all evolving. It's not, no one could predict the pandemic. Um, and I think... Um, being adaptable and flexible to understanding what people want to see now is it, you, that's the most important learning that businesses have had to make that we've got to flex. You can't necessarily be as rigid as you might have liked to have been in the way that you organize work anymore. Can't afford to. People won't come and work for you. And we'll get you on another show, Jen, to talk about how you differentiate as employers in the marketplace for talent. That'll be a fascinating subject. We'll put your contact details, Jen, in the show notes so people can reach out to you. I know you're always passionate about talking uh, around culture and diversity and some of these issues leave us would you with some tips for accounting leaders managers bosses listening to help them be more intentional be a good example lead the way connect more of their team so they forge a more people-led culture trying to kind of not put it in a nutshell i think having great and regular one-to-ones where you can build psychological safety um, which allows your employee to just find a way of being bringing as much of themselves as they want to to the, the business is a great way of building that foundation of a people-led culture. Um, thinking about how you can embed your values as a leader um, within your business. So thinking about 
what you're doing. Conscious leadership is a really great um, model and there's some great measures out there for conscious leadership. Um, I think that really helps you connect with how you show up as a leader and, and you know, actually really connect with how what that looks like. You walk the walk, don't you, as well as talking the talk. Exactly. Sometimes it's hard to re recognize necessarily how thoughtful you are being every in every moment. Um, and I think also recognizing that um, there's there's a really good opportunity that you've got just to be intentional by asking your employees how they feel about working for you. That's a really fantastic first step. Um, finding ways of doing either a engagement survey. There's some great free tools out there. Office Vibe is a really fantastic one. We use it. We use the paid version, but there is a smaller um, free version that can be used. Um, but if you can't do an engagement survey, then finding a way of getting an independent party to come in or even finding somebody that has great trust within the business to have some focus groups. Um, just capturing some great insights from your employees on what's going really well, what's not going so well, what would you like to see us do differently? Um, and encouraging them to come up with the solutions themselves because ultimately they're going to really buy into anything that you change as a result of it. So yeah, ask Ask your employees what they want, I'd say. Well, Jen Surtees, talking on building and leading a people-led culture, people first. That's been terrific. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.